If you have your Bibles, just open them up to the middle. Uh, and you'll probably be close to where we're going to start and be for the next 11 weeks. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Psalms. And so we're going to start at the ending. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 150. Um, you'll also find that text listed for you in the bulletin. It'll be on the screen behind me uh, shortly as we read scripture together. My wife, Katie, loves antiques. And she loves going antiquing. And I love being with Katie. And so that means that I'm going to find myself in a lot of antique shops. And usually it's the same thing. First of all, there's a wonder that I have for my wife's ability to be in a room full of what I'd call junk and find treasures, but she always does. But I have the same routine over and over again. When I go into an antique shop, I'm kind of surprised with the smell. Uh, And then I go and I look for books. Uh, usually antique shops are kind of broken out with vi- different vendors in different areas. And so they're not usually in one spot. So I have to make my way through there. And specifically what I love is I love finding Christian books. I always long to find maybe a commentary that was written in the first edition or, or find a Bible that was written long time ago or, or to hold a hymnal. Have you ever held a hymnal that is very, very old? And just imagine the fingerprints that are on it. I mean, just to wonder about the voices that you could hear as you look through that hymnal. Well, my very favorite of all books in my collection is this one right here. Uh, this is actually a book of Psalms, and uh, it's barely being held together. I, I probably, if you're a collector, am, am, am driving you crazy by the way I'm even handling this. Uh, but this book of Psalms that is written in Old English, it's very interesting when they, when they write the letter S, there's two ways of writing S. It looks like an S at the end of a sentence, but in the beginning or in the middle, it looks like an F. And so uh, it's, it's a very unusual, it's all Roman numerals, by the way. So if I told you to turn to Psalm 150, I'd say turn to Psalm C-L. No, no, X, no. I wouldn't even know what I'm turning to. So good thing we don't have Roman numerals. So C-L, I was right. So anyway, um, but this book right here, if you open up this book, it's inscribed. And there's a date on it. And the date that is written in the front is June 28th, 1776. This is older than our country. This is older than, than when we declared our independence. And to be able to hold something so old and to know that this was not just the Psalms. I don't have all of them. It starts with Psalm 19. The first 18 Psalms were lost in this, but it includes all the way to Psalm 150. But it's also broken down into meters, into how you could sing or how you could quote or how you could memorize this. And I love looking at this and just wanting to hear the voices of the past. God has clearly told us that we are designed to worship, that we are worshipers because we are made in his uh, image. This morning, we are going to begin a sermon series through the fall called uh, Worship by Design. Uh, We're going to be looking at what does it mean to worship our great God, and we're going to be using the Psalms to help us go through that. So let me give you a brief introduction on introduction to worship. We're going to look very briefly at an introduction to the Psalms, and then we're going to jump into Psalm 150. First of all, worship. The word worship just really... Uh, from the ancient English, is ascribing worth. Ascribing worth. 
What do you ascribe worth to? What do you ascribe such worth to that you would dedicate your life to that? We are to ascribe worth to God because he's infinite and he's glorious. And, and we are to uh, ascribe worth to God because we have been made in his image, his reflection. When he looks at you and me, he sees himself reflected in the beauty of his creation. It's amazing. And he's created us to know and love him and to be known and loved by him. But he's created us to worship. That's the story of the Bible. Well, although we were designed for worship, that design, according to the Bible, and we could see in society it's so true, was broken by man in man's fall into sin. When man sinned and rebelled against God, uh, the design of our worship was forever altered and broken. And we didn't stop worshiping, but the object of our worship was lost. You see, what we lost was that which was ultimate, that relationship with God. And so now we replace it by worshiping ourselves and worshiping creation and and worshiping what the Bible will say is an idol or anything that is not God. But what we broke, only God can fix. You see, what we broke when we fell into that relationship with God, only God himself can mend. And, And the good news of the Bible is this, is that God fixes. And God doesn't stop until he accomplishes and what God does through his love and through the work of his son is he, he restores that which was broken and he makes us back into the proper working order that we can be worshipers of the true and living God. You see, that's the overarching story of the Bible. Maybe you're new to the Bible. But the overarching story is that God made you for himself. He made you for worship. And although your sin and my sin and the sin of the world has separated from that, God has restored it through the work of his son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Bible is just this incredible story that God has created everything to display his glory. There's nothing that he didn't create. The, the, the stars, the moon, uh, the beach, the mountains, you and me, that doesn't tell his story. And when God gives us his grace and we could see his glory in his creation, we can't help but singing. Have you ever been that way? Have you ever been that way where you just saw something you just you just couldn't help but singing? It's not in my notes, but way back in the year 2000, I was able to go see my best friend, a missionary in Lausanne, Switzerland. And he was able to get us, because we were in ministry, housing in Switzerland in the ministry for $100 a week. Are you jealous a little bit? We would leave Lausanne and we'd go stay up in this house that we were given for $100 a week. If I mention that? And we were there. I don't want to tell you this, but I was there for a month. But as we drove from Lausanne, and by the way, I mean, Lake Geneva's there, and it's, it's incredible. As we drove up, we would see the French Alps, and specifically, we'd see Mount Blanc. And of all the Alps, Mount Blanc, every time I saw it, I gasped. I'm not kidding you. There wasn't one time. I was like, I was like oh, my gosh. Look at that thing. I mean, it's glorious. It was majestic because I saw God's glory, and I couldn't help but praise Maybe that's happened to you at the beach. Maybe that's happened to you holding a grandchild. Maybe that's happened to you and seeing the beauty of a spouse. Maybe that's happened to you in different ways. But when you behold God's glory, you can't help but worship. Have you been there? And oh, is that a beautiful thing because you were created to do that. You see, in the beginning, the Bible tells us that God created a sanctuary. He created a place where God and man could dwell together in, in unity and harmony and love. And it was constant worship. It was continual worship. It's called fellowship with God. And a sanctuary really is any place where God and man can dwell together in safety. Well, we know the story that we rebelled and we lost our place in that sacred sanctuary. 
and how God has restored it. And that's, again, the story of the Bible, is that God restores a sanctuary, restores a place like this, that we could dwell with God in safety and and, uh, harmony. Again, not in my notes, but i got to tell you this. If you read through the Old Testament, you've probably read about the temple or the tabernacle, and you've probably read about the different places of worship and how there were many layers to the worship. And as a matter of fact, you didn't get into the Holy of Holies. Only one person got there, and only one time a year. And even to pass through it, there was, there was this veil that you had to go through. And you want to say, well, what is up with that? And there's all this slaughtering of animals and all this blood that was all over the place. Because God is holy and you just don't march into his presence. And it's by God's grace that he, he would veil his glory. Because if we saw it completely, we'd fall over dead. And by God's grace, he was saying, I still want you to come to me. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep some veil in front of me to make sure that as you worship, you won't incinerate and what Jesus done is he takes away all the things that are between us and the father and all the curtains and all the layers and all the things that God has graciously put in our place to protect us and he says now come as you are isn't that beautiful come as you are come with your junk come with your baggage because why because what Jesus has done for us you see Jesus has restored that sacred place for for man and God to dwell together in harmony what we're doing is incredible right now. We're, we're gathering God's presence and we're living. <laughs> and and, and we're, we're free and we're alive. It's incredible, the work of Christ. Well, our worship services, why we gather, and maybe you've picked up on this and maybe you haven't, but every worship service should basically be telling the gospel story. Every worship service, we should be rehearsing or, or kind of replaying the story. Uh, it may even sound like a lot of the sermons are the same. It's the same old good news. It's all we got. And the story will always be the same. A God who creates. It's a God who rescues. It's a son who redeems. It's a Holy Spirit that brings new life. And so all of our worship service will tell the story. And this is what we're going to do through this worship story. We have 150 Psalms. I'm not going to preach each one, although it would be worth doing just that. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at what are the elements of our worship? Things like a call to worship. What does that mean? What is an invocation where we ask God to come and join us? What is it? Why do we do the passing of the peace? Why do we always read a confession? Uh, why is there always a, a, a praise songs? Why is there always a word from the Bible? So we're going to look at the elements of worship. Not everyone, but most of them. And I'm going to take a psalm and show you how that psalm shows us why we're doing that, and what's the importance of that. So as we go through this, hopefully we'll learn the Psalms, which is God's word, and hopefully we'll also understand worship, uh, and we'll understand the elements of worship as we walk through that. Okay, let's talk about the Psalms for just a minute. It's the largest book in the Bible. There's 150 chapters of it. Uh, it's, like, uh, it's like this. Does anybody like reading biographies? I'm a huge biography fan. Probably my favorite genre of books is reading biographies. And if you buy a biography, the first thing I usually do is open it up to the middle and look for the pictures. Do you? And you look for the pictures because even though you don't quite know the story yet, uh, I just can't wait to see. And so I'm going to start putting together the story by looking at the pictures that are shown in the middle of the biography, in the middle of the book. Well, that's kind of like the Psalms. The Psalms are like the picture book of the Bible. Uh, they're the songs, they're the poetry, they're, they're that which is in the middle that gives a vivid picture of the entire book. 
You see, the Psalms are like the entire Bible in one little book as well. Uh, it does have poetry. It will be, many times they were, they were meant to be sung. Um, and they, what I love about this is the Psalms will contain every human emotion. Wherever you find yourself in life, thrilled with God and angry at God, close to God and feeling like you're abandoned by God, um, close to your friends and feeling like you're all alone, on top of the world in an absolute pit, whatever emotion that you experience in life are recorded for us in the Psalms. That's why John Calvin would say the Psalms are like the full anatomy of the soul because it's really going to expose all of, of, of our souls. But it's more than just an individual songbook. We've got to hear this. The really cool thing about books like this is to remind us that the Psalms are our corporate songbook. And not just ours, Orangewood, but it's the churches. And not just now, but as long as they've been written, this is our corporate songbook. And we have the privilege of gathering and singing the songs that so many before us have sung. And the songs that so many after us, our great-great-grandchildren, by God's grace and mercy, may they sing these psalms as well. Well, we're going to begin at the end. If you hang around with me, you know I do these kind of things. We're going to begin at the ending. It's like those of you who read a book, and the first thing you do is you look at the last chapter, right? Or, or those of you who just say, it's a great novel, a great mystery, maybe it's a Grisham novel. And all you're going to do is go to the back, because you want to know the ending before you know the entire thing. Well, we're going to start at the ending, because that will shine the light on the rest of it. What is it? It kind of is a culmination. It's like a crescendo in Psalm 150. And by the way, it's basically going to say this 13 times. Praise the Lord. That's where we get hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord, everything that has breath. It tells us over and over. So this is what we're going to look at in Psalm 150. It tells us where we should praise the Lord. It tells us, first of all, who we should praise, 13 times the Lord. Where we should praise the Lord, verse 1. Why we should praise the Lord, verse 2. How we should praise the Lord, verses 3 through 5. I'm sorry, yeah, and and who should be the ones who praise the Lord, verse 6. Okay, I know that's a lengthy intro. Thank you for your attention. Let's jump into Psalm 150. Uh, Let's be mindful that although this... Uh, is, is a song, although this is poetry, this is God's word, uh, this is here to uh, not just entertain us, but this is here, you ready for this? To tune our hearts to sing, and to sing his praises. Hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 50, verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. That's a, a ram's horn, a, a shofar. Uh, praise him with lute and harp, uh, a, a long ago guitar. <laughs> praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, may the breath that you have put within me praise the Lord. And may the breath that you have put in my brothers and sisters praise you as well. Would you come and and God, would you be with us in such a powerful way that you, you would give us 
ears to hear your voice, Jesus, because you're the leader of the choir. Your voice is the one that needs to be heard most distinctly, most clearly, and most lovingly. Thank you for singing with us. And God, would you give us minds to understand your word, this, this hymn, this song of yours before us this morning. God, give us hearts to embrace this. Tune our hearts to sing it, not just now, but with our very lives. And God, may we walk in a manner according to the cadence, to the rhythm, to the beat of, of this psalm, because it's your heartbeat. The things that I say that are just my opinion are wrong. May those things fall away and be forgotten. The things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along, you'll find an outline in your bulletin for you. Uh, Again, although I don't have it listed, the first thing we're going to say is who we worship. I did my whole outline thinking, well, you know what? I don't have a who. It's probably important. I probably assumed that you would know your worship is to be God. Uh, This psalm is going to mention 13 times over and over again. Praise the Lord. The object of our worship has to be our triune God. Anything else is idolatry. In the Ten Commandments, God would say we are to have no other God, including ourselves, including our stuff, including God's gifts above him. That we're not to make any idols. That our lives should be a living testimony, a living worship of our God. So who are we worshiping? It's our great triune God. Where do we worship in verse 1? He tells us that we're to worship in both the sanctuary and in the highest heavens. Now, commentators are wondering, what does that actually mean? Is the sanctuary in the highest heavens a, a, a duplicate pair that's repeating the same thing? But I think what really is being communicated here is worship him in his sanctuary on earth, the place where God and man dwell, and worship him in the heavenly host as well. He's basically saying, worship God everywhere. There shouldn't be a place, a time, that we are not worshiping God. We are his people. We are the church, ecclesia. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light to worship him. You've proven that you've been called out even this morning. You you drove past those who were sleeping. Uh, You drove past those on their way to something else. You have been called out for a specific reason, to be the sanctuary of God right here, to be the place where we gather and worship him. We in Christ Jesus, the story of the Bible is this incredible progression of how God longs to be with his people. He starts with a garden, although we rebelled and fell. He continues in the wilderness through a tabernacle, in the promised land through a temple, and ultimately we see in Christ Jesus. And now, those of us in Christ Jesus, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 19, that we are the temple of God. So we are the sanctuary of God. We are, we are the place, right for this, because of the work of Christ, because of his blood for our sin, because of the Holy Spirit, we are the place where God and man dwell together in harmony. Is that not good news? I mean, we are the temple of, of, of the Holy Spirit. We're the place of worship. We're the place where God is to be vividly seen. Because of that reality, uh, we are, we're, we're people that do two things. We gather to worship. Scripture tells us, don't forsake assembling together. It's not good enough to have you and Jesus and your Bible in the, in, in the field somewhere. 
God says corporate worship is, is important. Gather together. Remind one another. Bond with one another. Uphold one another. So we are a gathered people. We're a called out people. We're a particular people, Bible says. But we're also a scattered people. And we're to leave here. And as we leave here, our worship continues. And so what we do is we gather in his name and we remember this story so he can scatter us to tell his story out in the world. That's the whole thing. Gather to scatter. And uh, Paul will say in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that, that now our very lives are a living sacrifice. Why a living sacrifice? Well, because the, the sacrifice of a spotless lamb, Jesus on the cross, was sufficient for us. Now, we don't have to bring a goat to come kill for our sins. We can, our sacrifice is our very lives, our lives of, of worship. And we, as we gather and scatter, uh, as Hardy reminded us this morning, you know, in the midweek, we want to regather in community and community groups, and and encourage one another, and worship together, and let me encourage each one to do that. At the woman of the well, in John chapter 4, incredible interaction that Jesus has with this woman um, who will come to faith in Christ as her Savior. There's a debate. She's a Sumerian woman, and the Sumerians thought that they had the right hill to worship God, the right mountain, and the Jews said, no, 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 you really worship God in Jerusalem. That's the right spot. And, you know, usually around the world, there'll be places, is it Mecca, is it Jerusalem? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you, the, the, the where is ultimately going to be not as important as the how, and as you worship in spirit and truth. You, you worship in the reality that you're filled with the Holy Spirit if you're a child of the King, and you worship him in, in truth. Um, so the where, where, wherever God dwells, specifically with us. Well, the why do we worship him in verse 2? I'm going to give you two C's for this, for why. The first C is for his conduct, and the second C is for his character. We should worship God for his conduct and his character. Uh, it says it this way, his mighty deeds, what God has done, his, his conduct. Let me give you three mighty deeds. We could go on forever. Let me give you three. The mighty deeds of God creating everything out of nothing. Don't ever look at the beauty of God's creation, even in a fallen world, and not marvel that he spoke and it came into existence. Worship God for his creating power and for he created everything out of nothing. Worship God for his redeeming power, how God has rescued the world through the work of his son, how God has redeemed this world. He's making all things new by loving us so much and sending Jesus to come and to live and die and be resurrected for us. Love and worship God for his redeeming power of making you new, of making you his of bringing you into his marvelous light. He's crazy about you. He's put his name upon you. You have a place in the family. Worship him for his redeeming uh, uh, conduct. And lastly, his governing conduct. Uh, basically, how he governs all things. How many people wrote know Romans 8.28? I bet you know it. What's Romans 8.28 say? It's one of those things everybody knows. What's it say, David? God works all things together for good for those who love and call according to his purpose. Good job, David. Is that true in your life, David? Okay. David, are you going through some pretty tough treatments? I mean, is it really knocking you down a little bit, some of the things you're going through? Is it true that God is still in control? Is it true that he's going to work everything out for your good and his glory? Every single thing? We worship God for his conduct. And sometimes he seems to stress the limit of that. You're going to say, God, this is really good for us? 
David's was a much more poignant example. I'm going to tell you briefly. Um, I don't know if you noticed my good-looking family to my left. You're right. Don't look over there. You'll embarrass them, okay? But my married daughter's here, Jessie. She flew in to surprise us. She flew in to surprise us, and she really flew in to, to see her sister play volleyball. You'll notice her sister's not here in church today. Because she flew in to see her play volleyball, but instead, in the first game we can gather as a family, about three plays in, she lands on someone's ankle. And she's in a cast. And so, you know, so, you know, what, we're like, seriously, you come to watch her play? I mean, it's kind of like the zenith of joy. Everybody's together, except for one co- son in college. I can't remember that kid. And, uh, um, <laughs> And there it is, we get hurt. You know, we were to worship God in all things, in the highs and lows. We live in a fallen world. And do we trust the fact that he's going to work everything out for our good and his glory? He may have to re- redefine good, right? Has he had to redefine good for some of you folks? He has for me. But we worship him for his conduct, for his creating, his recreating, his redeeming, and his governing. But we also worship him for his character, or as the psalmist says, his excellent greatness, uh, these, these, for theologians, we'll call these his attributes, the attributes of God. We, we worship him. As a matter of fact, I almost preached this entire sermon series on just the attributes of God. Let's look at his holiness and his justice and his mercy. It's a great way to look through the Psalms. But we'll see that as we go along. But his character is, is excellence. Worship him for his being. That God is perfect in and of himself. That God is infinite. That God is eternal. He's always been. God is immutable. He never changes. I mean, it's mind-blowing. This last week, I was away studying for the sermon uh, series, and I, I read a book on the attributes of God by A.W. Pink. And it, it talks about, again, just the, the knowledge of God and that he knows all things. And there's times you almost have to put it down and say, oh, my goodness. Wow, is God mighty and strong. Wow, is, is God all, truly all-knowing. And let me tell you, if God is truly all-knowing, and he is, what are we doing here in his presence? He knows everything about you. Shouldn't we be running for the doors? But the grace of God that covers us in the, in the work of Christ Jesus, that we are safe and we are loved. His love, his love that's so great, we worship for his love that he, he loves so much he gave. He gave his only son and that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. You know that? According to the Bible, and I believe it's true, it's God's word, nothing, Christian, nothing, not one thing will separate you from the love of Christ. Worship him for that reality. That is incredible good news. His gifts, he's gifted each one of you with different spiritual gifts, but if you're a believer, he's given you the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's given, he lives inside of you. Worship him for the gifts. Worship him for his promises, his promise that he'll never leave you, that he'll never forsake you. Worship him for his promises that he's preparing a place for you and he's coming back for us. Worship him for his promises. That's why. How about how? How we worship him in verses three through five. Well, you read through that, it's like a list of instruments, but it includes dancing and includes emotion. And so really, I'm gonna say this, we worship him with everything that's available to us and we worship him with everything that's within us. And there's a lot of things that you could say about these musical instruments and you could take a stand on contemporary or, or traditional worship services. Again, I don't think it's the style. It's more about the form of worship, that we got to worship him with everything we have. And we got to worship him with all that's within us. I love the fact that it includes dancing. I love the fact that it's, it's emotional. I think about that as Presbyterians. We don't dance very well. 
Seems like we have zero rhythm, and if we start trying to bust the move in a worship service, we get really nervous. I think if our dancing becomes about our dancing, we lost the view of worship. But I want to tell you, if God's Spirit's moving in your heart and you're worshiping and tears come, and if your hands go up and if your, 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 your feet start to tap, I mean, worship God. I hope and pray that you can experience a worship God that's, that's just incredible, where it's all of you worshiping our great God. I want to tell you a little bit about the ram's horn because the ram's horn, it says we should start that way. It's a blowing of a ram's horn, the trumpet it's called. And really, if you read through the Bible, it's at significant times in, the, in the Israel, uh, God's people's life, when they blew the ram's horn. The trumpet was given for the giving of the law. When they gave the law, they blew the horn. The trumpet was sound for the proclamation of jubilee every seven years and a time where uh, things were set free. And, and things were taken back to their rightful owners. A trumpet was sounded for the coronation of a new king, a new king that had come into the land. A trumpet was sound for waging of war. I tell you these things for one thing. Did you see Jesus? You see, a trumpet should sound because God has given us not only the law, he gave us Jesus, who's the fulfiller of the law, the only one who came and fulfilled every jot and tittle for us. The, the one who proclaims jubilee is Jesus. The one who says to you, now because of what I've done for you, you are forever free. Talk about jubilee. Sound the trumpet. I'm forgiven and loved and redeemed in the Lamb. The sound of coronation for a king, that Jesus is our Lord of lords and king of kings. Sound the trumpet. Jesus is alive and reigns. The sound of trumpet of waging war that we live in a world that's extremely broken. But sound the trumpet, our king wins. How we worship. Everything available to us with everything within us. Who should worship? Verse 6, lastly. Who should participate in worship? Everything that has breath. What's he saying? Everything. I mean, everything should worship Christ. All of creation, Psalm 19 tells us that creation itself pours forth speech. Proclaiming that God is God that we have been given a unique voice to worship. But all of creation, everything that has breath, a bird that flies is bringing glory to God, a, a fish that swims, a, a, a gazelle that runs, a dog that barks. I mean, when creation is doing that, that which is created to do, it's bringing God's glory. And what you are doing, what you were created to do, worshiping him with a unique voice and a unique heart, that is what brings him glory that your life is now a living testimony to his goodness. You see, ultimately, God created us and placed us here on earth to, to help lead the chorus, to be the maestro, sing your praise to the Lord. But the ultimate one who leads the chorus is Jesus himself. You see, this book of Psalms, this Bible in, in song and in poetry, this picture book of the Bible, it's a picture of our souls, and may we look at it and worship our King even more. But there's another picture that God wants us to have this morning. Another tangible picture. It's communion. Incredible element of worship. The gospel story. This is it. This is the gospel story in, in tangible pieces. This, the Lord's Supper is kind of like the kids' uh, pop-up books. You know, you ever see those that you open up and the whole story like pops out at you and you actually can touch and you can feel it? Well, this is like the gospel story tangibly. The gospel story that you can hold and you can taste and the reminder of, of what God has done for us. 
Well, whom should we worship as we take this meal? Well, it's our triune God. We should worship Jesus that this meal reflects to. Why should we worship? Well, because he gave himself for us. You know, he, he, he gave his life for you to live. I mean, this is the sacrifice here. Why should you worship? He was broken so that we could be healed. He was pierced so we could be forgiven. Well, how should we worship? Well, we repent. Scripture tells us we come to this table, we should examine ourselves. We should repent of the fact that we have fallen and we're sinned. We don't live our lives as worshipers of God. We live our lives as worshipers of ourselves or our gifts or our stuff. So we gather the table, we should examine our hearts. And we should say, like the psalmist, Psalm 139, search me, O Lord, and see what is inside of me. Do you know what a scandalous prayer it is, is ask God to search you? He already has, he already does. But search me so I can confess to you what is broken and wrong and believe that Jesus is enough. As you take this broken bread and you take this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And you proclaim the reality that's sufficient for you. And this meal is for believers and believers only. For those who know the story and say, I not only know the story, it's my story. For all of us, we come and we taste the good news again. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would now come and prepare our hearts to to tangibly touch and taste the good news of our, our great God and what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for making us worshipers and thank you of all we've disqualified ourselves because of our sin, you kept pursuing us. And because of the work of Jesus, you have tuned our heart to sing rightly, to be able to worship properly our great God. God, we ask your Holy Spirit would come and as we we take our tithes and offerings, that, that that would be a form of worship, that we would express to you that we love you with everything we have. And God, you prepare our hearts to come to the table. Father, I pray for anyone here who, who doesn't worship you yet by spirit and truth. May today be the day. Today be the day where they would realize that they were made to be worshipers of you. They would realize what Jesus has done on their behalf, uniting us to a heavenly, holy Father. And that, God, you would give them today the gift of faith so they would be able to participate in the greatest worship singing ever in the singing of our lives for Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.